Out of the 93 Best Picture winners, one must be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest. I'm Timo, I'm joined by Abram, Tucker, and Tanner, and today we are doing our thing once more, except we are doing it a little differently. As you know, Quest for the Bestest is a show about determining the best, best picture winner of all time. And recently, we've sat down and done a lot of thinking about how we go about determining that. You know, in, in past episodes, we have our list and we all, everyone sends their votes to me and I average them and then that placement of the movie goes on the list. And we've been thinking about it and maybe that's not the best way to do it. And so after a week of thinking, of plotting, of, of doing math and experiments, cooking up stuff in the kitchen, we've come up with a new method for ranking Quest and I'm here to announce that Quest for the Bestest ranking version 2.0 is being debuted today. We're not talking about any film. In fact, we're talking about all of them up to this point, all 35 films that we've talked about as part of the main series of Quest before this. And we're just going to go through, starting from the bottom, and, and talk about um, this sort of new list. I will give a little spoiler. It really hasn't changed a huge amount. There's a couple notable exceptions here and there, but by and large, it's the, the trends are the same. Now, who of you wants to explain how we're doing this again? It's a little test after our meeting a couple days ago to to see if you remember what the real process is. Abram, you look like you got I it. Will, I will explain, but I also want to make a quick note. I want to thank the, I would say, honorary fifth member of Quest for the Bestest, John Tor 11, who I was really was, <laughs> is the entire reason we're completely and fundamentally changing the show. So when we blow up, John, yeah. that yeah. is your first name. Thank you very Jonathan much. Jonathan Tor... Jonathan Toretto! Oh my god. It's a Fast and Furious reference. Um, in, in a lot he, of ways. Yeah, he commented on a bunch of our videos mm -hmm. um, and some insightful stuff about his thoughts on, on the films and then on a meta level um, who told us, quote unquote, love your reviews, but the sc scoring system sucks though. With this method, the film at number one will never be beat and the later films will have no chance of getting into the top ten. So we took that to heart. We want to yeah. respond to the audience. And John... so we're here to do that today. John capitalized on our thin skin and always online personalities, and yes. uh, it, ha it had a great impact. So here's the deal. This is how it's going to work from, from here on out. We are now making our scoring system based on what we think the films deserve from a sort of quantitative review perspective. So how it works is we are each scoring all of these films from 1 to 10 with decimals. So you could give a, a film, you know, a, a 3.7, a 9.2. That's how this mm -hmm. works. You can get we into the nitty-gritty of it, yeah. The nitty-gritty. We take those scores, we average those together, and then that average is compared to the other film's average to determine the position. And that is how Quest is now structured. Yes. yes. Great explanation, Abram. You, well, mm -hmm. uh, you were the one who really came up with it, so it wasn't much of a test for you, but... <laughs> Um, I'm pretty happy with how this worked out. We uh, we put it all, we've got a great, instead of just like doing this on my phone and punching it into the calculator like I do, peeling back the curtain, that's how it happens in the breaks most <laughs> episodes is I, I, I just do the average. Um, we have a great big Gloria spreadsheet with conditional formatting and, and they get all sorted for us. So I just type it all in and then boom, it tells me exactly where it goes. And I think there's no better way to get going than just to start. I want to know. Based off that of what you, okay. you guys knew what each other's votes were, but I, I kept mine secret so that the final position of the list was yes. a little bit of a surprise. What do you think is the first movie that, or, or the last movie on, out of uh, all 35 films on the quest for the bestest? 
First off, I want to peel back the curtain a little further into the into the demented personalities of Tanner Dykstra and I, who <laughs> came out of our meeting deciding we were going to redo this, happy as a pair of clams. Oh, yeah. Peas in a pod, whatever you want to say. We ran downstairs like boys on Christmas morning, and we opened up our laptops, pulled up our letterbox, and sat there for like two hours, writing our, our rankings down and, and making sure things were correct. And then we got a second Christmas morning when yesterday Abram said, my quest scores are like, <gasps> so we, t- we ran up to my room, we pull open a laptop, we looked at his scores. This is a very fun moment for the two of us. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I'm just very excited for to, to have this happen because it's just another excuse well, for me to hey, make, video, make movies again. You mm-hmm. really love doing that. And personally, I love keeping a good secret. And that's why I've, I, there's little <laughs> reason to reveal it now as opposed to having you guys know beforehand. But, um, Guesses on the on the on the bottom movie just for fun. It doesn't matter. Gotta be. I'm. I think from from analyzing it, I think it was Tom Jones uh, before Timo added his scores. So I'm gonna say it's still gonna be Tom Jones, which uh, would be which would be uh, a, a move down for that movie. It's currently at 33 out of 35. So yeah. Timo or anybody else, what do you think? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I do think it's important to note that Tanner has the old list, so we can do a bit yes. of comparison. Mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. moving forward, you'll find in the description the new list, so you don't need to worry about getting confused yourselves. Yep, absolutely. Um, we'll have all the lists updated by the time this goes live. So, Tanner, you're exactly correct. Tom Jones is sitting at the bottom now. It's at number wow. 35 out of 35 with a whopping out of 10.0 points, 2.8. That is the average. <laughs> oh. So, um Ouch. We it did. Tom Jones did not get good scores. That time has not been kind of that movie. We did not like it when we reviewed it, and we liked it less on further reflection. <laughs> um, Tucker gave it the highest score at a four point four, but then me and Tanner said two point oh, which was the lowest score any film. Sheesh. No, not the lowest score any film has got. Actually, a couple oh. other films have gotten individual scores lower than that, uh, but averaged a little higher. And then Abram said a a two point nine for that. You know, that's that's pretty low. It doesn't tie, so there's no discussion. That's the bottom. Squaring mm-hmm. away. Um, we actually have a pretty big jump up to the next film, which is at 3.7 aggregate score is Going My Way, the, uh, the Bing Crosby mm-hmm. film we talked huh. about. Um, on top of that is our most recent review, which you should check out, is Oliver. Um, we were debating between it and Tom Jones, them being right next to each other on our old list, and <laughs> now they're not. They are separated there. We've pulled the two brothers apart. Oliver has Uh-oh. got a, a clean 3.8, point 0.1 points better than uh, Going My Way. Take that. Take Shut that how you will. Okay. So well, at least we got the British people, the British movies down at the bottom. In the I'm place that's that true. They, they should go. No. Yes. I think there's other British movies that are spread throughout. Um, just to note about how we're, I'm just going to try to speed through a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some ties that we will then discuss and adjudicate and figure out where they go. So up next after Oliver is the great Ziegfeld at 4.0. Mm. And then we've got From Ooh. Here to Eternity, another big jump at 4.6. So the great Ziegfeld was yeah. our last place on the old list. And yes. now it's jumped up a whole f- four places up to the so, uh, the 32nd place. Yeah, The big bottom five huge. still remains the same. Just in a distance shuffled up a little bit, but the bottom five remains the same. Yeah. So then moving out of that bracket, we've got Out of Africa at 5.7. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare in Love follows it, despite Abrams' best efforts, rating it an 8.8. Some other vote votes. God, all fucking (laughs) money. That is pretty Uh, high. It moved down one spot. So it went down one spot. Well, I I gave Mm -hmm. it a 3.2 because, geez, I don't remember liking that movie very much at all. (laughs) Um, 
And uh, and so the, the, the final score was a 5.8 for it. Above that is the old Rain Man, the Raymond movie, um, at 6.4. At place number 20, uh, what is it, 27 Seven. now is going to be Ordinary People with 6.6. Mm-hmm. So you see, we've, we've risen quite a bunch in this scale, and it's supposed to be a holistic, a full across, you know, if, if, if five is good, is, 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 a, is a medium movie, and especially for best pictures, a medium best picture is usually a pretty good movie all around. That's what we kind of sure. decided to talk about. So Ordinary People was at 27, and then at 26 is An American in Paris at 6.9. Uh-huh. Um, so we're almost, if we're, we don't really think about this in terms of school letter grades, but we're almost into the, uh, the C category. We're out of, out of failing and into... <laughs> so now you're thinking of it as school letter grades. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think it's impor- important to interject really quickly. We're using the, we are, we are doing a full 1 to 10. A, fi- a 5 is a, is a middling film. We get yes. into good up at seven. I think it's important to clarify for your for your IGN viewers that may cross over into Quest might hate their ranking system. We're stealing it kind of, but just know five is average, seven is good. We're using mm-hmm. the full ten points. Yep. And we're being very yes. deliberate to if we feel a film is is below average, to score it low. So we yes. we're gonna be yes. very, very deliberate about that. The the only caveat to that is the fact that we are reviewing best picture winners, and on the whole, they're right. not going to be like fundamentally broken films that deserve uh, half half star yeah. or half point. These right? are these are made by experienced directors, starring veteran actors, and the, mm, the, yeah. these aren't novices in the genre in the in the in the industry. Exactly. So that yeah. brings us to our first tie. Um, these two films are tied amongst each other. It's West Side Story and Dances with Wolves, tied oh, wow. at seven point two. West Side Story, West Side Story dropped quite a bit. It was at uh, place number twenty. And uh, what what would it be at? What's it a tie for right now, Timo? It'd be at it's tied for twenty uh, fourth or twenty fifth. We got to figure out which which okay. place those films go. That's our first so point of discussion on the agenda today. Now so what's that story? And, what's that story? In what movie? Sorry, Dances, Dances with Wolves. Wolves. Okay, okay. Just, just to clarify, I missed two quest episodes. So for that one, you divided the average by three, right? Still, yep. because that feels like okay. That's very interesting. Of course, mm-hmm. I can't speak authoritatively to West Side Story. I was off secret, top secret military missions. I can't tell you where I was during that time. <laughs> but I, but I can tell you that I think Dance with Wolves is quite good. But, but Timo, maybe you can shed some light in that, uh, in that individual score breakdown. I know that that there's a pretty big split uh, between what what Tucker and I thought of the film and what Tanner thought when I was looking mm-hmm. on the spreadsheet. Yeah, well, actually, it's going to end up really coming down to me, I think, because when you look at Dances with Wolves, by and large, it does better. It gets an 8.6 from Tucker and an 8.9 from Abram, a 6.8 from Tanner, and I gave it a 4.3 because I remember not liking that film very much at all. Um, (laughs) And uh, whereas West Side Story gets a very near 7.3, 7.4, 7.0 across the board. So, well, interesting. Uh, if I if I may if I may posit a bit of a position, this is this is a bit of a hot take that I had during our dances with wolves discussion. Uh, I felt that Kevin Costner is maybe a little bit of a, a novice behind the camera. He certainly had the the budget to get the big sweeping shot and stuff like that, but uh, but they didn't they didn't seem to capture a real cinematic value. And if you look across the aisle across uh, at a West Side Story, that is. Um, Robert who, Wise. Robert Wise, thank you, who is obviously a, a veteran director and who I think, you know, it's it's a bit of a, it's a bit scaled down in terms of production, West Side Story, 
but I think the way that he captures those those giant musical numbers shows a bit more prowess, which would be me saying West Side Story over Dances with Wolves. That's that's the Tanner's one, vote, Tucker. You're gonna the say the one caveat I would say to all of this is that your point breakdown on Dances with Wolves is the sole reason that this is a question at all. Our scores are significantly higher mm. than yours, and if we do want to reflect the overall opinion, although numerically. You're, you're bringing it down. Our opinion on the whole is that th it is higher than West Side Story. If you had considered this movie a 5.0, it would be above West Side Story pretty solidly. So I, I think that's that's something to keep in mind. You're talking to Timo, not me. Yes. Yeah, okay, of course. Because his is even significantly lower than yours. But yeah, he's not yeah, yeah. particularly high, but it's still decent. Yeah. Timo Nelson, any, any come back to that well i do i do remember myself being um being fairly entranced by west side story i actually really liked it when i saw it um of course there's issues with the film um you know brown face we don't like to see that uh and while i did, i think that the yeah it's it's a musical the musical numbers themselves are quite impressive and when we're looking thinking about musical and musical metrics for the most part they move the story forward there's a couple soliloquies a couple solos here and there where it we, we it really slows down and gets bogged into the into the song and the and the singing um but i love the color i really love the choreography west side story i think is a pretty cool story i remember i was a lot more hot on the story than you guys were in that review we were we were talking about shakespeare i think this was a little bit before we talked about shakespeare and love it was the episode before actually and um and so personally i see west side story as a, a step above just in how it looks and how it feels and and that the impact it has left on me much later I, th I think about that film just a bit more than i do dances with wolves which has kind of just faded off into the great prairie of film knowledge in my mind <laughs> sure and, and honestly because abram hasn't seen it and can't weigh in on this debate i think it's 2v1 here so uh west side story goes above okay Point, okay. Point. Which isn't going to happen very often because uh, there aren't very many movies only three of us watched. Yeah, <laughs> true. There's only two. True. So West Side Story is going to sit at number 24 and Dances with Wolves will be at 25. That's, there we go. Moving on, there we've we got are. a tie right above this. So we're sticking around the seven, seven point range. The 7.3, we're going to have to compare two films that I really don't want to have to compare right now. It's The Deer mm. Hunter and The Last Emperor. <laughs> what do you say about that? Interesting. Hmm. Here's my perspective right away, because I, I was I was really thinking about The Last Emperor when I was scoring it, because I mm. notoriously call it my benchmark for when a film is boring. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when I reflect on that film, I, I think that in some ways it's, it's much more impressive than The Deer Hunter. But at yeah. the same time, I think so much of it is predicated on the sort of outside knowledge of, of Chinese history and all kinds of things that feel divorced from the film itself. I feel like as, just as a biopic, as a period story, it's it's interesting, it's lavish, but ultimately there's not much to connect to there unless you're bringing more into it. I think The Deer Hunter, for as flawed as it is, is very motivating. A, a scene like the, the first Russian roulette sequence is really harrowing, and I think that how remar the remarkable highs of The Deer Hunter strike a lot higher than The Last Emperor, so i definitely put Deer Hunter above. Okay. okay. Tanner? Um, these are very interesting to me because I, I, I quick ran over, scurried over to the document, the, 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 the spreadsheet to see what my scores were. And they, I have these at the same score. So, and they're, they're quite balanced in my mind. So, uh, I think that the last emperor, you know, these are two movies that are three plus hours, I think. 
Uh, the Last Emperor drags on a bit towards the end, whereas I think the Deer Hunter takes a little bit to get kickstarted. Um, if we're if we're going for thematic value, uh, I think the Deer Hunter has, wears it a bit more on its sleeve than the the Last Emperor does. Um, I think that the you know the effort that was put into the Deer Hunter and uh, the Last Emperor are, are about the same. You know, obviously all that stuff within that was filmed in the Forbidden City is quite impressive, and how it you know spans the his this like very tumultuous history of China at the time is also equally impressive. But if I had to say, I'd go, hmm. And it's hard to say because we've also watched Deer Hunter much more recently than The mm -hmm. Last Emperor. I, I also, I wasn't on The Last Emperor review. And I didn't get to say my thoughts True. on it, but I did watch the movie. But I'm going to have to Someone stick, did their homework. I'm going to have to stick Deer Hunter right above The Last Emperor. Okay. Tucker? And I, I'm just, I'm going with it as well. Uh, Deer Hunter above Last Emperor. I when I'm thinking back on it, honestly, I think the the scope and scale of Last Emperor is obviously its strongest suit and is mm -hmm. what sets it apart from everything. Regardless of the story being boring, the production value is out out of this world on like a twelve out of ten, a yeah. and just the concept of it being so unique in comparison, I think has it stand on its own. But I'm probably still gonna always prefer the Deer Hunter because I am yeah. such a character focused person. And, and you get uh, sorry. Who is is an interesting character, mm -hmm. but on the whole, the arc is kind of like gimped, and, and the pacing is a little bit weird because it jumps around so much. So, Deer Hunter above Last Emperor yeah. for me. Yeah, and you get the dream team of De Niro and Defoe. No, Walken, Christopher, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Right. Defoe, yep. Defoe's not in it. But... Right. Okay. Well, they're that's... two weird men. <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, I will say just to throw my hat in the ring um, that I think. I, I like them pretty equally. I was a little bit more bored by the Deer Hunter because of its long sequences. The Last Emperor interested in me, even if I recognized it's like not objective boringness, but like it's mm. I found it very and a very interesting film and I loved I just loved the production design and the cinematography and it. It was like that was you know, blew me away. And I think the scope is something to admire in the film. But I can see where both where the three of y'all are coming from with mm -hmm. ranking the Deer Hunter a little bit above. I completely agree with Abram that the highs in that movie are so high that the Deer Hunter really yeah. just grabs you and it won't let you go. You know, it's uh, it's got you by the balls and it, it's it's pulling them farther away from you <laughs> to use a really, really, really anxious, ancient uh, quest reference there. So uh, we can True. go with that. The last emperor will then go above the deer hunter let's or the, the deer hunter above nope. the last emperor i am so sorry i was yes. putting in my my mind was like oh wow i like that movie but <laughs> um the deer hunter will then be at place number 22 so we get to go a little bit up interestingly with keeping it in uh, at that spot it, the two vietnam war movies that we've talked about get to sit right next to each other because coming up next at 7.5 is platoon a, ah sure uh, Another film that we looked at, and hmm, I mean, my scores would seem to suggest that I like The Deer Hunter more than I liked Platoon, which is interesting. Might have to go listen back to uh, the uh, the episode of on Platoon to really fully remind myself. But um, that's that's where it's ended up. That's that. Any any guesses on what film comes next? We're getting up there in the list. We're at place number twenty. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I feel uh, like it's uh, futile. We still have like over twenty to choose from, and although some of them are clearly much higher, we're, what we're doing right it. now, it 
is reaching a range where most of us are going to give similar scores, so there's going to be more ties in this area. These movies are, on the whole, pretty similar in quality. There's some much lower and some much higher, but I, I don't even want to guess because this is such a chock-full range of similar scores. Well, since, uh, since I am looking at the old list, I'm going to assume it's either Grand Hotel or The French Connection. Well, you're... you're you're quite right, Tanner, because right at number 20 is the Grand Hotel at 7.8, and then right above it is French Connection. Um, ah. Grand Hotel, I think, is is an interesting one. That one, we were really hot on. We really liked that one when we talked about it. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty far down the list now. Um, good many episodes Not later. Not on my scores. If you look at my <laughs> score, I put it, I I think I'd probably put it significantly higher than you guys. Tucker, it's actually one of my personal favorite Best Picture winners. Tucker, you gave it an 8.6. Uh, I gave it an 8.0. Tanner gave it a 7.6. And Abram gave it a 6.9. So um, they're not super spread out, but, well, if you can imagine. Just enough. It averages out. The, the average, math. the math does work. That's kind of the whole deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. We've been controlled by wheels for a while now, but now it's numbers. It's numbers. I'm a little bit scared, guys. <laughs> We're going to go this back to being controlled by the wheel. Don't worry. We'll be fine. <sighs> From one dictator to another. (laughs) Yes. Okay, after French Connection at place number 19 is Unforgiven at Mm 8.0. Then above that is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest at 17 with a score just a little bit above 8.1. Tanner, how does that relate to its place where we put it on the list at the beginning? Uh... One flew over the cuckoo's nest. That it fell a few. It fell a few places. Uh, roughly. Uh, what number did you say it's at now? It is now at seventeen. 17. It is. It was at number place fifteen. So there's no. There was not. There's not been any huge drops or or uh, uh, raises uh, on the list. But uh, it's been typically two to three spots. Uh, if if it changes at all. Okay. Well, up next, spotlight might be a bit of a change because that one has come down quite a lot it's now sitting at 8.2 at place number 16 where was it at beforehand tanner i really don't want to make you remind remind yourself of this but it was uh it was at place number nine so nine is that what six 16 16 and it's not tied with anything why why do you fellas why do you fellas hate journalism and truth that's what i want to know difference the big difference is my my opinion was factored in this time because I also missed the Spotlight episode, but I went mm. back and actually watched this one opposed to the other ones. Yeah. So that um, means we've and, got interesting interesting point distribution here, if you will continue, Abram. Yes. My, my, my TLDR is I think that the, that the subject matter elevates what is otherwise completely standard filmmaking. I, I really don't think that there's anything remarkable about the Spotlight beyond the story it's telling. And ultimately, I don't think that's as great of an achievement when there are so many films here that are so inventive and interesting. I think Spotlight is really good at telling its story, but if it was any other journalism drama, it wouldn't really matter. I know that we've had a contentious conversation about (laughs) how much that subject matter should influence the score, but ultimately, I think the acting is fine. I think that the, the camera work is fine. I think the direction is fine. I think all these things are fine. And how much should I really elevate the fact that they're basing this on something that really happened? You know, that's that's my tension in my head. So I think that this film is just okay. Sure. What? Well, yeah. Why why would you take the story of a film into account? No, well, I because... think I do understand what he's saying. Is is the in- really interesting part is the fact that this really happened, and they yeah. made a film about it. But the filmmaking aspects of it aren't compelling. super. That aren't super unique. Unlike, I think, The Last Emperor, where clearly it's obviously based on a true story, but it used filmmaking in terms of telling a story over a long period of time, using mm-hmm. set design in ways that probably couldn't because it is just 
in offices for the most part, yeah. but that does make That's, it slightly less unique and, and, and less compelling. Let, so let I, me, I understand what he's saying. Let me betray the fact that I am not one of the kinophiles that, that reviews films on the internet. I think Argo is a much stronger film than Spotlight. And the reason I do, and I think the reason I, I like to bring them into conversation, is because Argo is a fascinating real-world story. But the reason I think that film is so effective is because of Affleck's direction and the tension it evokes. Not necessarily just because of the event, but the way that that film is orchestrated and the way that it pays off. You didn't, you didn't feel tension during Spotlight? Well, not as much I as think, Argo, I didn't. No, no nowhere near as much as no, Argo. I, I, again, I mm. think that, yeah, this is an interesting story, but ultimately, if I had read a, 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 a text narrative, I would have been equally oh, moved. Oh, correct. Because it's I can't not the filmmaking I, elements here. I can't believe you guys... I can't believe you guys are shilling out for the Catholic Church. I can't believe it. Oh I my really can't. I will just I will just <laughs> drop a drone strike of a take right here, and I'm just gonna say that uh, All the President's Men is a much better journalism movie that well, does yeah, movies I, well, that does mm. the movie elements much better, and has a I can understand that you know if not equal a fairly close level of important story that it, it covers in terms of the journalism world um i will note here for the viewers tanner did put this movie at a 9.9 he famously really likes good this movie god almighty and uh and so so good i think that's going to be the biggest disappointment on I the could, list i could second I could only watch it right now <laughs> second only to tanner's rating on one flew over the cuckoo's nest which sits right below it at 9.5 so, That's okay. Uh, uh, I, I recognize that you guys don't like uh, One Flew Over the Cookies Nest as much, but I, I just can't believe that you guys are shilling out for the uh, shilling out for the Catholic Church like this. I really can't. You caught me. <laughs> Oops. So not again. The next classic BLB move. The uh, <sighs> the next bit here. We've got a tie. It's not a two way tie. It's not a three way tie. It's a four way tie. I will give you. Oh, awesome. I will give you the basic order starting from the top here. We're going to start with the best years of our lives at place number 12. Below that is Argo mm. at place number 13. Below that is Midnight Cowboy at place number uh, 14. And at number 15 is All About Eve. So we've got a four way tie here. Do we want to split these into two ties? Do we want to. How do we want to do this? Well, yeah, I we... think we got to do a tournament style like that, right? I think so. So mm. the, the the order that yeah. I gave it to you is the the raw order that is factoring in not rounding because there's there we there is for full disclosure there is a little rounding that goes on with the the final average of the scores. Well, should we do this? And we're just we're just rounding it to one decimal point to the tenths place so that we can have some discussion like this because otherwise well, the list would never there'd never be a tie. Tanner. I have an idea. Yes. So uh, I, I think we should do this like the NCAA does it. So you, you do a number one seed versus a sixteen seed. So give me the give me the names of those movies again. And we'll, what we'll do is the movie that's highest on the list and the movie that's lowest on the list go against each other, and the the two in the middle will go against each other. Okay, okay. that's fine. Sounds good to me. So that's the really best. Much considering they're all tied. Starting, starting well, the best years of our lives versus all about Eve, and now. Ooh. I didn't do my homework, so I didn't see the best years Ooh. of our lives. So we will—I'll uh, have to defer to the rest of you, jokers, about this one. <sighs> oh man, what a battle! What a battle! Here's yeah. what I'll say. Hmm, this is really this is really difficult because for a second I was thinking that that best years of our lives was uh, going the the one that isn't that sounds like going my way but isn't the good one, the funny one, with the dad in the house. You know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, you can't take you can't it with take you. It with you. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Here's my here's my opinion. That should might belie where I'm thinking. I think that Eve is a much stronger film. 
I, I, I think that uh, Best Years of Our Lives leaves a lot of potential on the table. I think that the, the amputee character who looks like Tom Hardy, whom I cannot remember the name of at the moment, uh, is really <laughs> underserved. And I think that Eve is a much stronger film. So I would give it to Eve. However, I will say that Eve is overly cinematic and overly written for my tastes. But I still think it's probably the better film of the two. I'm also going with All About Eve for this one. Um, even if even if that doesn't belie my my scores, I can't quite remember how I have them each each individually rated. I'm um, just in this moment. I lo- I love both of those films. They're two of my favorites, which is why I'm so. Uh, Tucker gave in this both moment, of them but, a nine point seven. Okay, all right. So so clearly, okay, yes, they're very tied mm-hmm. in my mind. But all about Eve, I, I think is a is probably it's it's more concise than than the best years of our lives. Um, and and Eve Harrington is I, as I said in our review. Probably my favorite movie villain of all time. So uh, that pushes it above. Tanner? Uh, actually, team, I'm, I'm going to defer to you on this. I want, I want to go last. Well, you can't. they hear the deal it's is you can't because I did not <laughs> oh, watch it's right. Best Years of um, Lives yet. Yet. I'm going to say nice Best try. Years of Lives. Nice try warming out of it. <laughs> but also, we already win the majority. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah. I, I was going to say Best Years of Our Lives, but uh, it, it's, it sounds like All About Eve is winning this one. Okay. Next up for the debate in this four-way rank of palooza is uh argo versus midnight cowboy so now we've all seen these um who wants to start mm-hmm. tanner since you deferred i'm gonna put you on the spot you um, can't get out of it that I long f- buddy i famously warm. thought that argo was too high on our list because it, it was one of the it was like the sixth episode or something mm-hmm. something like that that we did close um close enough but At 12 uh i'm gonna go I, i'm gonna go midnight cowboy not only mainly for the reason this is what i always think about when i think back to argo is that uh it was great at building tension sure but i think we might have gotten a bit too sweeped up in that when we when we did our initial review of it because thinking back to it uh ben affleck's character in this whom whom i cannot remember the name of uh, was really devoid of any emotional connection or character traits really uh it was fun cutting back like the hollywood stuff but it, it the, the whole film seems kind of uh, empty when you're not like coming off of the high octane buzz of having just watched it. Whereas if you look back at Midnight Cowboy, I think the emotional resonance of like uh, Rat, Ratso Rizzo or uh, Dustin, Ho- Dustin Hoffman and John Voight, uh, the, coming off of their their emotional connection and the friendship that they build and sort of the uh, the, the dirty 70s New York that they're gallivanting through is a lot more uh, memorable than anything in Argo for me. Okay. Tucker? I'm going with Argo. I'm going with Argo just because, as we talked earlier, I think the use of filmmaking fundamentals there in terms of of, of tension, especially the intercutting, I think, between those two timelines, or not the two timelines, but two locations in the same timeline of of Hollywood and happen, what's happening in Iran, and plus just that's such an interesting real-life story that as is portrayed through the movie, is so ridiculous, it sounds fake. And, and I think that the way that it portrays that through film is fantastic. And while I really like Midnight Cowboy, uh, a lot of that movie just boils down to me to the two characters and a handful of the moments that they share. I think on the whole, I remember a lot more of the specific story beats in Argo, a lot more of the the overall characters. So I, you, I have to go with Argo. Can, can you enlighten me to some of the... Because I, I honestly don't remember a thing about Argo. What, what are some of the characters and stuff that i might be forgetting 
I I just I just mean the, the you know two Hollywood guys. Of course, Ben Affleck's character I, I I do agree with you is not he's not a great main character. None of us remember his name, and maybe maybe Abram, but I kind of doubt it. Mm, uh, and then mean. we have a a cast of the the um refugees in in Iran that I think while they aren't great on the whole, they're they're solid, and and I I think the situation they're put in is is so interesting that I already I already you know remember a good amount of them. Mm, okay. Well, Abram, we're going around the horn here. I can I can tell you don't believe me, but that's fine. I don't, don't believe. I really I really don't believe you. Yeah, so Argo is one of my favorite best pictures. I sc- I scored it very high. Uh, so my Timo? my vote is Ar- obviously with Argo, and the reason for me is that I think that there is such a precision to Argo. You might say that a lot of its appeal is wrapped up in the tension, but ultimately it is a very tense political thriller. That's what it is. And I think that the film's ability to execute on that to the degree that it does makes up for what shortcomings it does have, which might be a lack of characterization. I think that it is such a, it is a, it's a film that's fast, that moves, that enraptures the audience. And that, and that means a lot to me, especially going up against a film like Midnight Cowboy that is kind of dank and gross and yucky, but ultimately I find to be meandering. I, I don't find it to I to really grip you beyond the sort of sort of blanket of yuckiness that wraps around you while you're watching. Yeah, I, sure. I, I think that there I think that Argo is a laser and I really appreciate that. So I give it to Argo one hundred percent. Okay. I'm gonna make this difficult because I I am the one who's famously least hot on Argo and in, in there's been other episodes where I've Maybe not, maybe a little, I was a little too harsh on it when I called it a gimmick movie. It's, I don't think it's a gimmick <laughs> movie. I think that the execution of the, the tension and whatnot is, all comes from the filmmaking and from from that. And I think it, it works for the most part, but as a film going experience, I don't appreciate that as much as the the dank vibes that I get from Midnight Cowboy to to really age, to date my age Dang right vibes. there. Um, I, I, I think that's, or what is it? John Voight's character and Dustin Hoffman, they, they work together so well and it's this this characterization of this friendship that neither of them will admit that they're friends, but they they are like one of them, die, you know, they, I mean, maybe they're even more than friends. They're lovers, you know. Mm. Ratza Rizzo dies in in John Voight's hands towards the end of the movie and, and that's a super, you know, soul crushing moment and watch this not only that there's them as characters but the characters of of new york and as the city is a character in in midnight cowboy um abram you ranked argo at 9.1 and i put midnight cowboy at nine so we're the two hottest here on uh, on these two films Mm -hmm. i I would like to suggest emotion mr timo nelson emotion and and we on the floor is accepted right here (laughs) Okay. Perhaps in this instance, the raw numerical yeah. is is what breaks the, the tie. That is the that that's is the totally fifth arbit. It's the arbiter. Okay. That's my opinion. That can work for me. What do you think, Tucker and Tanner? So wait, and what, what's we're what, already what? tied. So so if if we have a tie, we discuss, and it's still a deadlock tie. Then the mm-hmm. the raw. Uh, oh, then is what the, the actual score. I yes. see. Okay. That breaks a tie. Sure. Bit of a complication Which with means. that. I've looked into oh. the numbers, and the raw score is an exact tie. What the <laughs> hell? Okay, um, if I if I can if I can go round two for for Midnight Cowboy here, Tanner enters um, the boxing ring. I think the I I think there's some thematic value as well to Midnight Cowboy that isn't really there in Argo. 
uh, you, you you can uh, you could really applaud the, like the filmmaking fundamentals of Argo, uh, and I think you are correct in doing so. But um, that's that is also something that we point out a lot in these best picture winners, and something that doesn't always come up is thematic value. Uh, something that I always come back to is how the film portrays like 1970s yuppie New York when uh, when John Voight and Dustin Hoffman go into that party that's like flashing strobe lights and people, you know, the, the 1970s people like aestheticizing like poorness and poverty and like uh, the the bohemia of like the New York artist. And they're juxtaposed with these actual poor people who are like shoving salami into their pockets from the table. It's a it's a really compelling scene that um, isn't given like you have to pay attention to this, but if you if you really extrapolate out on it, it's it's a great moment for that film. I'm going to concede it to Midnight Cowboy not only because I do think you make great argument. I I wouldn't say at least on my personal ranking that's accurate. However, I do have them at the same score on the sheet, sure. so I, I clearly consider them in a similar ballpark, and. It's, so it's not a huge deal for me to consider mm. one way or the other. Okay, sure. well... The fifth arbiter didn't work, but that's okay. No. We'll, we'll try <laughs> the fifth <laughs> arbiter later Ooh. if we need to, um, because I like the idea. Uh, I do want to note the the Midnight Cowboy, the song that plays... Dun, 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 dun. I don't remember <laughs> any of the score from Margo, but I remember that song every time it comes up. So, Well, well hey, how about um, that? I don't think... <laughs> okay. So we've we've done a little deliberating when we figured out that E all about Eve is gonna go over best years of our lives and Midnight Cowboy is gonna go over Argo. But what so now we have to do the winners and the losers against each other. We do have to do the, the winners positions. and the losers. Oh, this is this is really the high point of the episode, isn't it? Yes, I, I feel like the NCAA thing might not have been the, the right choice in hindsight. However, well, I like I like what it's introduced. We, now yeah, really, sure. This is the battle zone that Quest never actually gets into because we barely exactly. actually compare films when we review them. So this is very mm -hmm. cool, I think. Well, we, best we years of our lives. Best yeah. years of our lives versus Argo. Fighters, start. Argo. Best years of our lives. Oh. Since we've argued our points, let's just lay them out here and we'll get this done with. Uh, Argo. Best years of our lives. It's a tough call, but best years of our lives. And I haven't seen best well, years of our lives, so oh shit, well, we're doing a three so, a three way vote here. So, so then we would go to best years of our lives. Yeah, this has suddenly become my spotlight. <laughs> uh, yes, this is how it hey, feels, Abram, Abram. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I might have betrayed you. Might have stabbed you in the back a little. You know, like sure. top ten anime betrayal kind of thing. Mm, but absolutely. I'm still on your side. <laughs> Wink. Wink. But no, I think that, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, yeah. So so then our, the bottom two of this four way tie have been decided. At um, place number fifteen is going to be Argo, and at place number six or place number fourteen is Best Years of Our Lives. And now we have to look at it between All About Eve and Midnight Cowboy. <sighs> you know what I'm going for. I, 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 I know. know what I you do know what you're going for. for. <laughs> I'm probably gonna lose, but that's fine. I gotta go Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, I'm sorry to say it. I really liked All About Eve, but um, hmm. Timo, do you want to weigh in on this before I go? Because I'm thinking here. I'm deliberating in my mind. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, a, a, Tanner, just some quick information. You have All About Eve at point one 
points higher than you do Midnight Cowboy. I'm sure I do, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> if I may, if I may make a point, and I, and I and I touched on it briefly, but but I was I was too busy trying to defend Argo mm-hmm. as my life was as it was slipping through my fingers in front of me. No, please. If, if we want to think about the the success of Midnight Cowboy, it's about creating this this real aesthetic and creating that real New York. Yes. I I think that All About Eve is mediated by a really pretentious script that feels more poetic than it does natural. Mm. Okay. And for me, I think that put I think that really foregrounds the thematic material, but takes me out of just the surface narrative and characters and everything. And I know one Mr. Jonathan who who inspired this episode loves that movie. So sorry, John. We already doing John, this for you. I'm you on can't your have side, everything. John. Um, but I I'm gonna have to go for for because of that realism, because of that aesthetic, because of that richness. Midnight Cowboy. Okay, um, I'm going to have to agree with Abram in the placement, not necessarily in the reasoning. I do think All About Eve has a great script, uh, and I think it's super witty, and it, it pulls me along through the film, um, and the characters and all that are, are, are fun and enjoyable, and like Tucker says, Eve is, is a great villain in the film, and it's fun to watch her as the main character when, as you learn that she's really the, uh, the bad guy. But Midnight Cowboy has an essence to it that I mm-hmm. find hard to describe and that it's, but it is this essence that that makes me put it over you know, all about Eve. Oh, the shit! Eve, Eve is a great villain, but poverty is a greater villain. <laughs> okay, you know what? Midnight Cowboy goes above. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, Tucker, I was gonna say, um, I, while I do have all about Eve at one point higher to avoid uh, further deliberation and uh, and to make sure that you don't make another concession before you did, I was gonna go Midnight Cowboy. Okay, well then I take it back. There you go. <laughs> my, con- my concession was solely because of that joke there. By yeah, the way. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Good enough joke to bump me a little bit. Okay, Thanks. so uh, in this four movie stretch, we've got Midnight Cowboy at place number 12, All About Eve at place number 13, um, Best Years of Our Lives at place number 14, and at 15, Argo. I, I'd, okay. I'd just like to say that I actually did win. All About Eve went up on this list. Hey, from, there from you its go. Original placement. So I still. I'm still Can winning. I, I did a quick Argo comparison because that's a pretty big drop. I right? think that is a pretty uh, big Argo drop. Argo came from sixth place to to fourteenth, fifteenth, fifteenth. Damn, that's, that's, that's that might pre- be the that's big, precipitous. That is a yeah, that, that might is be a the, big drop. That's uh, probably the precipitousest. Well, it also Spotlight dropped quite a bit. <laughs> I'd well, like to point deserved. out. Oh, Spotlight was from nine to what? Uh, New place sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. That's almost the same. Yeah. 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 Well, it is. It is. Abram and I took it equally to heart here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. And even my loss, I even in my loss, I won. <laughs> yes. We have we have to keep trudging through because we are not out of the woods in ties just yet. Oh God. Here for the uh, for the tenth and eleventh place spots, we've got to decide between the most recent addition to the list in terms of years, Nomadland, and Gentlemen's Agreement. Mm, I know what mine is, and I just kind of want to spit it out there. I don't want to. I don't really want to provide an explanation. Okay, it's gentlemen's agreement. Oh, oh shit! Okay, all right. Look Flat at this. I'm also going gentlemen's agreement. Yeah, Nomadland is a I'm great really... film, and you should see it. But gentlemen's agreement hits some other level of just movie. I'm going okay. Nomadland. I don't oh, want to accidentally oh, set no. up this, the split here, but oh no. I, the more I think about Gentleman's Agreement, the more I think it's it's interesting, especially for its time period and has a clever conceit, but ultimately it's 
pretty standard filmmaking in, in my perspective, in my estimation. Oh. I think there's an invention to Nomadland that I think, in the context of itself, might have been better as a straight documentary. But as, as, a, mm. as, a, contrib- as a contribution to the best picture canon, I think it's incredibly rich and interesting. And if you want to bring it to a, a level of contemporary social political themes, perhaps Gentleman's Agreement is evergreen, but I think Nomadland probably will be too. The situation's going to change a little bit, but sure. there's something to be said for that sort of countercultural a, uh, lens we see. It is so a very interesting point that these two Damn films it, are different, but kind of sync up together. They're kind of the same. I, w- I was gonna, I was maybe like the one that was going to make the concession here, but Abram makes too good of an argument for Nomadland. I'm sticking by my guns. Nomadland and Nomadland, Tucker? Gentleman's Agreement. (laughs) Okay. I I, I actually already said that. I mean, I have Gentleman's Agreement significantly above Nomadland. I think what it does with filmmaking and Chloe Zhao's directing is out of this world, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to remember more about Gentleman's Agreement in terms of the things that he went through more than, you know, Fran sitting in her car. Like I, I, I think I think it's a good movie. I just think it doesn't have any of that resonance that that I'm looking for in terms of when I watch a movie, I want snappy script. I want mm. I want memorable moments. And while there's some of that in Nomadland, it is in intentionally so, but in a sea of of openness that doesn't necessarily resonate with me with, with what I'm looking for out of movies, especially Best Picture winners. So while it is unique, I think Gentleman's Agreement was and probably still is the surprise winner of all of our Best Picture winners. We we're so surprised that it went so high, mm-hmm. and it was so high because we did it so early. Yeah. But still, I think the fact that what, a 40s movie came out and we, it came up and we were like, holy shit, this is one of the best we've seen. I think that really holds water. This this has 70 plus years of, I'm, I'm not doing the math off my head, but mm. of us still connecting to it. Yeah. And it's hard to future project for Nomadland, hard to future project for things like Parasite, but this doesn't require future projection. It has that legacy that's still connecting to us. I will say, Tucker, 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 I Tucker enjoy, also makes a great point. I, I greatly enjoy Nomad. It's, I love it. The great open spaces that you maybe don't like so much just really hit with me hard. But the way I feel after watching the end of Gentleman's Agreement, just that, that, that drive for me, the film makes me want to go out and not only change the way I act, but change the world and make it so that the world is a better place and that racism is not around. And that's a, if that's what a film makes me want to do at the end of it, I mean, woo, that is a success in terms of thematic material and whatnot. My counterpoint to be the awful and, and cynical one in the room is that, it, okay, sure, it's, it's a nice hoorah moment, but ultimately, what does that really amount to? I, I think that the clarity in which Nomadland do, depicts our world and those who are forgotten and put on the edges of it is is a lot more interesting. If you if you want if we're gonna talk about the movie, sure. Here's this white guy who pretends to be part of an oppressed group to pull a gotcha at the end. Sure, that's motive. That we're we're all awful liberal arts college students. Of course, it's gonna be motivating to us. But I think that there is a rawness, a cerebral element, an invention to Nomadland that is important and different. And if you want to talk about thematic resonance, I think it's there. And I don't know what Tanner's going to say. I might filibuster it. I'm not sure what I want to do yet, but I'm going to continue to make my case for Nomadland taking the tie. What I'm going to do is get a, a zoomed-in clip of just his reactions through all of this and speed it up by five times. Like, <laughs> Good. Well, I was making those faces because you both make great points, but something that uh, Abrams said does make me want to, does make me want to do a well-actually. 
uh, because you said that it's a it's a it's general agreement is this white guy pretending to be a member of an oppressed group. During the filming of Nomadland, apparently these people who we applauded them as like great characters, even though they're actual real people, didn't know that Frances McDormand wasn't like also homeless. They thought they didn't know that she was like a famous actress. So if that colors uh, your take in any way, she was also pretending to be poor. If I could pick up my eraser and color that back, if I can, uh, if I can get rid of the color you've added, I think that yeah. if you start looking into the production history of uh, most of the films that we review, well, fair, in yeah. this canon <laughs> and beyond, you're gonna run into a lot of fucking issues. So, mm -hmm. so I think that even in the context of the narratives, in the context of what they build, yeah, that okay. the the product, I think that there's a lot more interesting material. Both <sighs> Creative perspective what, what? and a thematic perspective in Nomadland. That's all I'm saying. My piece oh, has been said. Tanner, Tanner, if you can't, you're, you you were for Nomadland a little while ago. I was, and then you make great points for gentlemen's agreement. Uh, can I flip a coin? No, I will flip to Nomadland <laughs> so that you don't okay. have to feel the agony because I think that they're both flip great films. Flip a coin. I can't. Um, there, there's. I gave Nomadland a higher score, but these people are making great arguments. Tima, I, I need you to flip a coin. I need it. No, I, what I'm saying is I will. I, I think that we can. Oh, I, I will put Nomadland above Gentleman's Agreement. I mean, these films are just great. I think they're in great company together. I think they fit very well. Yeah, sure. If you were to build a crazy wild double feature, no, Nomad, Gentleman's Agreement followed by Nomadland might hit kind of different, actually. Mm -hmm. um, sure. And so... Yeah, I think Abram, I think you make really great points. I love Nomadland. I love Gentleman's Agreement. And so uh, I'm just going to have to squeak Nomadland above by the smallest margin I possibly can. Uh, and it also squeaks, if it goes at 10th place, squeaks up ah, a spot from 11th yeah. to 10th, which is interesting. Very true. Yeah. And, but however, Gentleman's drops far, right? Like seven Gentleman's spots. Gentleman's Agreement drops eight spots, correct, from third Oof. to 11th. Uh, which is, uh, as I think, the clearest example of this happened at the beat early on in right. the show. Yes, and it likely would not have gone that high if we'd gotten it later. But you know, yeah. that's what we're—that's exactly the reason we're doing this now. And Tugger, absolutely, I, I think you're exactly right when you say that that was the biggest winner of of so far of these 35 films that we've talked about. The one that we did not expect to really wow us as much as it did. Because if you listen to our review, it's we we just gush about that movie for the whole runtime. We really loved it when we we're talking about it, and I honestly, I still do. And so now, a two films up next that are tied right after these ones. Oh, uh, good lord! That I would not bill on a double feature. It's Chicago and the Bridge on the River Kwai. Ooh, okay. Oh uh, yeah, those don't necessarily complement each other. But if no. it's like you know, it's like uh, complementary colors, like they're opposites, but you know, they sort of bring I, out the colors of each other's eyes. No, it's, maybe. it's it's like it's like uh, <laughs> like purple and brown. Nope. I I think we should we should let. Tucker redeem himself for that awful uh, that metaphor he tried to take us down by sharing his <laughs> thoughts first because he wasn't on the River Choir review. True. So I'm curious what he wants to say to this tie. Uh, for me, Bridge on the River Choir is an, an excellent movie. It is David Lean at his best, in my opinion. Ooh. However, I think that Chicago is so more so much more unique in the ways that mm. it uses the the uh, the filmmaking fundamentals. Not only that, but the musical numbers to tell 
probably one of the most interesting stories in terms of lots of characters and all of their depth. I think I think Chicago is absolutely fantastic. It was a standout surprise for me as the one who went into multiple of these musical best picture winners going, I hate musicals. And I came out of the other side loving that movie and really resonating with its characters and enjoying the soundtrack and, and the cinematography and the set design. I think everything in that movie is just a synergy of incredibleness. And while Bridge of the River Kwai is a fantastic movie and deserves to be up this high, it isn't as unique as, as Chicago, I believe. So mm. that is the, the unique factor. And plus, personal resonance puts it, uh, Chicago above original required for myself. I'm just going to butt in right here because this this episode is already going to be one of our longest because we have a lot more to get through um, and just throw my hat in the ring because it will affect you that I actually agree with Tucker. I think Chicago is is the best musical that we have on this list. I like Bridge on the River Kwai a lot, but it does not compare to David Lean's other films. In my mind, there mm. is the, the, we talked about it on the review, the second half. The, there's the the character you know uh, the American gen the uh, whatever Major Shears girlfriend on the beach, mm -hmm. which is you know completely out of left field, and we have this whole second second half of the film where they're trying to blow it up that is just not as interesting as the building and the conflict between you know the the Japanese colonel and the British colonel. Um, while the acting and the production and the, that last shot there with the train falling off the bridge is just like mind blowingly amazing. I think Chicago pulls through when you have these musical numbers that are just like super super inventive. They it does the best on my number one metric of will I like a musical or not. Every single one is rocketing that story forward. We are moving. Yeah. The plot is happening while we're singing. And I just love to see that in a musical. Um, and the song and dance is pretty good. And the production design is also pretty good. I don't think it compares to Bridge on the River Kwai in terms of that. But on the whole, I would put Chicago just a bit above uh, bridge. So having said that, you know me. I, I love my David Lean. I just wanted to get that in there uh, before... Sure. You're you're a lean man. <laughs> that I am, uh, and I think I know where we, where Abram and I get to follow in this. So I'll let Abram go first and probably be the uh, decider here. Yeah, let me say, let me say two things. First of all, this is a very important quest episode, Timo. So I'm going to drink in these ties and I'm going to talk about them. If we got to go two hours, I want to do it because I, okay, I, I think it, it. I think it's I think it's worth it for for the sanctity of the the list and the, and the programming. But here's what I'll say. No need for a tie here. I think Chicago is absolute money. I, I think this film front to back is inventive. I, I think it's it's breaking the the sort of conventions and tropes we've. F You're so money and you don't even know it. Yeah. What's it from, Tanner? Do you it's from you Swingers. Know? And I, that, I assume Abram was making a Swingers reference there by uh, by uh, <laughs> comparing this film to money. To being money. Which that, is something that, that was started in Swingers. You, you just blew up my proverbial quiet bridge because I have no idea what I was, I was oh, saying I'm anymore. Sorry. But uh, I will say that Chicago goes above. I think that movie is exceptional. I'm very sorry about that. Tanner? I'm assuming you agree? It was, it was relevant, though. You, you weren't doing yeah. it out of spite. You I did, literally I didn't, had something yeah. that physically was representing what he was saying. I'm and very Tanner, sorry. Like, you're, a, you're a quiet man. I'm, I'm, I'm a quiet I'm man. I'm a quiet man. Uh, I I, Part I of really, the choir? I'm, I'm of the quiet... Uh, it place? Per, yeah, I'm of the quiet place. God, sure. just, oh, just Christ. Say Christ. Just say you feel. Uh, I like Bridge <laughs> on the River Kwai. I really like uh, Alec Guinness in it. I think he uh, he has a really great character arc and uh, portrays some really great themes and character moments that uh, I, I maybe didn't get in, in Chicago because I think the, the musical aspects that we, that we were talking about are great and they do progress the story, but there's no like regular story progression in there. Which I just can't really get behind from a from a. Uh, I'm losing my mind on this long quest episode. 
from 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 a filmmaking perspective, I really can't get behind the fact that there's no like real regular like non-musical story progression. Okay. Well, well that's the, the too bad. That is yep, it I decided. Know, I know. And I want to say Tanner, it's not it's nowhere near a a uh a hard choice for you because you have Bridge on the Quiet almost two whole points above Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm... It's let's go. We get a little break. Keep, actually, keep trucking. We, oh. we we get it. We get a small break where we just Ooh, get to uh, we get to talk about the Hurt Locker because it's sitting at place number seven with a cool eight point eight points, not mm-hmm. tied okay. with anything. Tasty, and I'll take it. Is that a decrease? Increase? About the same. Up one. Up Good. one. To seven. The Hurt Locker is a good movie. It's a good movie. Great movie. It is a it is a good movie, isn't so, it? That one we paired with Argo, and and I used to think we were hot on it, but I don't think so much anymore. I think I think it kind of deserves to be up there. Yes. Okay. And now What's next, Timo. A little tie, a little drama. <sighs> uh, that was a nice little break, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. You got to rest your brain for a second between comparing films. And now at eight point uh-huh. nine points, we've almost crossed the nine point threshold. We haven't quite yet. It's going to be you can't take it with you versus Kramer versus Kramer versus oh. Kramer. Wow. No. Okay. Kramer versus Kramer moved up quite a bit here, which is impressive. And Tanner, that's a win for you. You didn't necessarily get your spotlight win. <laughs> your, your good old KVK has shot up. But Abram has not seen this one. Yeah, so I got I to gotta jump out. All I will say is that Apocalypse Now should have won anyway. So what does it even matter? I'm, I'm well, going to have to jump on that bang, bandwagon too, Abram, that... Uh, you can't take it with you is funny and is dramatic and it's sur- surprisingly endearing and god damn it why didn't apocalypse now win i will forever not like <laughs> kramer versus kramer uh, a little bit because of that it's a good movie mm. it should not have won this picture i like kramer versus kramer a lot because it's marriage story with good characters and emotion and it's way better than marriage story uh but not only that but you can't take it with you is one of my favorite movies of all time i think it does everything that i want out of a film ensemble cast plenty of memorable characters lots of memorable moments a great set that's interacted with it's got themes it's got a, a great script it's got everything i could want really mm-hmm. great actors you got you got your james stewart in there you know yeah you know, old jimmy stewart isn't lionel barrymore in it too lionel barrymore is is the grandpa yeah oh we love lionel barrymore <laughs> we two bangers of actors but i yeah i i think it's solidly above Kramer versus Kramer, even though i quite i quite like that movie we're talking about we're, we're sifting for the top around here, though. Yes. Well, but, uh, once again, my vote is irrelevant, but uh, I, I just think that, like... As it should be. As it should be. I know. I'm aware. But uh, these two these films are very, very close in my mind, again. But I just got to go with the powerhouse of Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. They're very down-to-earth in this movie. There's the sequence that always as sticks with me. As down-to-earth as a like, New Yorker can get. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, but... Just... <laughs> But it is like Tucker compared this to Marriage Story, and a lot of people have. Uh, it, it it is much more grounded and human than Marriage Story is. Marriage Story is all about these big emotions, but if you look at Kramer versus Kramer, it's a it's like a knockdown drag out. You feel bad for both of these people in the divorce court, and you know there's that sequence where Dustin Hoffman is racing his child through the streets of New York because he fell off the monkey bars, and there's just that raw emotion of like. He cares for this child, and he it's hard to raise him on his own, and he recognizes that, but he still wants to win this case, and it's tearing him apart inside. And yeah, I, I, I just think that raw emotion of Kramer versus Kramer ticks it above you can't take it with you. The very heartfelt, earnest you can't take it with you. Okay, well, 
impassioned speech uh, there, Tanner. And I, the Kramer vs. Kramer is a good movie. I, I'll give it that at a minimum. But You Can't Take It With You is going to sit at fifth place. And yes. Kramer versus Kramer at number six. That's still an increase. I think that's an increase for both of them, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's a significant increase for Kramer versus Kramer, and yeah. it's a one. It's a two point increase for you can't take it with you. There you go. All right, and now we're into it because these last four movies, if you're keeping track, have all been rated a solid ten out of ten by one of us. Oh, at least one. At, at least, least one. one. Well, yeah. there, this is. Yes. This is high stakes, and I want to say this. Yes. Again, the three of us, excluding Timo, entered our scores prior to today. And mm. before we did, Godfather was not number one. But there True. were some very close decimals, and we, we were saying privately it all comes down to Timo. So this yes. is where the list really makes it breaks itself. I'm the very excited. The top four. The top four were nearly halfway through the quest for the bestest. As I'm we're, sweating, we're we're, we're doing the great re, we're doing the great re rank here. Timo, I'm, I'm sweating too, is, Tucker, but that's because my air conditioning what is, is off for the sake of recording. <laughs> my heart is actually beating very fast right now. Okay, okay. then we've got a tie though for third oh, and fourth God, place. Good Lord. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. Let's here we go. Here we go. We're we're, we're dragging it out. First though, so that's, yeah. that's good enough. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, it's it's the last tie because the the two top films are decided. Um, okay. this, this tie, it's going to be a really hard, it's going to be a slugfest. We're going to be going at it here. And if, if there are insults thrown, at least for me, I don't mean it. Okay. <laughs> it's We're Godfather part two versus Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Oh no. Oh wow. <laughs> this is really oh, no. hard. This is really hard. Not so, really. so remember oh, that well, Godfather part you, two Tucker. was a lot lower. Um, well, thanks to a certain individual. We actually have debated. We pulled this one up once more. This is the second time we've debated re-ranking the list. Um, and Return of the King is the most recent addition in the very top or upper echelon. We did Return of the King not that long ago. It was episode 31. Mm -hmm. And um, it landed at place number four. So wherever Return of the... Here's the thing, though. Wherever Return of the King goes, which I gave a 10. I love, I love that mm -hmm. movie. It's a great movie. Um, and... Uh, Wherever it goes, it's still um, it's still still too low. Four. So I'm I'm pretty happy actually where it goes because place four was a bit higher even than I really expected it. But let's get into it. Godfather Part Two versus Return of the King. Um, well, and we should let our votes, votes fly out before we start deliberation. Well, here's the thing. I don't really I don't really know because I have both these films at the same score. Yeah, and um, uh, and and well, I have Return of the King at a ten, and Abram has Godfather Part Two at a ten. And so I think that's going to come, Tucker. I think you get to start on this one because you have a difference in your votes. I do, and it's Godfather Part Two above Return of the King. I think Return oh. of the King is 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 interesting, but I think Godfather Part Two is more interesting. I, I prefer Michael's character in that over anyone in Return of the King. While I think production design and everything that went into Return uh, Return of the King is insane, and it does deserve this high place, even if it doesn't like subjectively resonate with me mm -hmm. godfather part two is not only more important i believe but more interesting from a character perspective and the fact is that return of the king obviously this is not a huge criticism but it doesn't really stand on its own while i think that we're talking about two sequels here i think godfather mm -hmm. part two stands on its own a lot better than return of the king does uh, as a sequel movie um and we get two we get two storylines for the price of one in godfather part two uh, yeah, with with both the Vito and Michael um, storylines. So, 
it, that that's my up for me. I'll flip back to Boy. Tanner? For third place. Tucker brings up a great point about these both being sequels. Because that, that's how I was trying to, like, should we measure these on them standing alone? I don't think that's necessarily fair. But, uh... But you can't. But I can't... Yeah, yeah. And if you do, I think Godfather Part 2 does stand on its own better than Return of the King. But, as we talked about multiple times, you know, Return of the King, well, that Best Picture one is really for the Lord of the Rings series. And, uh, oh boy... On my own personal list, I have I have Return of the King at number four and Godfather Part Two at number five. I don't I, I, I the one thing I don't like about Godfather Part Two is I don't find that Robert De Niro Vito Corleone plotline as compelling as Michael's plotline. Uh, but I, I think I said this when we re-reviewed it. I, I view it as absolutely necessary, intrinsic. You, you take that out, and the Jenga, the Jenga Tower of Godfather Part Two falls apart. Whereas, uh, maybe if you pull out maybe like a a, 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 a minor plot line of Returning the King, that Jenga Tower doesn't fall apart as much. So I don't know where that I don't know where that leaves me on either of these let films. Me throw, let me throw interested. in a, a, a tidbit comparison here really quickly these these mm. two films are well known for their length and i just was a little curious how do mm. they compare we can get other we can do we can talk about the cinematography let's talk about runtime mm -hmm. how about the godfather okay. part two is three hours and 22 minutes long and lord of the rings yeah. return of the king is three hours 21 minutes hey I, there's more mo there's more movie to godfather part two <laughs> there's more like movie that how you will <laughs> i like i like to make a suggestion Yes, I'd like to, would you be interested, Tanner, in almost like mm. a, a, a sort of court of law final closing statement from both Timo and I before you make your call? Because you seem a little bit split. I am very split, as I've been this, with <clears throat> all the matchups in this on Dearly. So, okay. Abram, please go right ahead. That's, that's okay. Here, here's what I'm going to say. Don't bring a spotlight, please. Uh, I, <laughs> if, if I was the one making the list, I would have part two, Godfather part two at number one. And, and, mm -hmm. and, the re and the reason I would is because I, the best picture is about cinema. And now we're mm. at the top of the list. We got to get we got to get really fucking nerdy and pretentious with it. And, and, and here's what I want to say. I love Lord of the Rings. I didn't expect to, but I did. But I think that a lot of the success of Lord of the Rings lies within its spectacle. It's a blockbuster. It's incredible. It's amazing. But when I look at Godfather Part Two, that is... That is your kino. That is straight, incredible production on a very human level. That's some actors, that's a camera, that's an incredible script, that's incredible sets, that is our world, it is an incredibly enrapturing story. And I think the ability of Peter Jackson to take us to, I almost said Midgar, I've been thinking of Final Fantasy, <laughs> Middle Earth, um, is, is really impressive, but I think it's mediated by something that Godfather isn't. I think the rawness of the thematic material, the performances, everything about that, the way that part two tracks off of part one, same way that Return of the King tracks off what came before, it's incredible. But I think that the way that you can kind of juxtapose the Corleone rise and fall is so interesting. And again, it's human, it's characters, it's writing, it's direction, it's editing, it's everything so pure and distilled and incredible. I think it is a staggering achievement. I think both are, but I think that this is raw and incredible filmmaking mm. it does more with less and 
at the behest of not making this this video well, here's, be, no no be quiet tanner i think it's his court of law he, oh, he oh gets sorry. Court. i'm sorry i yeah. thought i thought no kangaroo courts here it, i thought he your thing would already happen okay sorry 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 i do not i do not believe in does more with less lord of the rings does more with more it's mm. i mean we're going to run down the points that i talked about in the episode um it the unadaptable movie i do love that quote from kubrick where he said that, that he said that the book could never be turned into a film and when you read the book you, you're like holy hell how did he do this and um, just that that element of taking a largely incorrigible story, a story that is just really, really hard to understand when you're reading it with all these extra characters and finding and distilling it down into the moments that matter most and the character beats and the, and the dialogue. Um, and I just, you know, I think the production design is very good turning New York City, you know, 100 years back for the for the the Vito Corleone sequences are are cool and it, it works. Oh, I, how do you compare that to just the it, the spectacle of of Lord of the Rings and that in at least how I view it, it pulls together spectacle with heart. The the films, the whole series, but you know specifically Return of the King because it wraps everything up has an intense amount of heart and it has a lot to say with regards to the nature of good and evil and some more fundamental story thematic ideas that while The Godfather Part 2 has very interesting themes about family and these power dynamics and whatnot, we, we're getting into the real basics with Lord of the Rings of good and evil and and there's something, at least in my mind, that's kind of nice to have that. It's not necessarily questioned in Lord of the Rings that these are good and these are evil. Um, you know, take that how you will. I will close this out saying that on the previous list, Return of the King was at place number four, and I was pretty happy with it there. So if it ends up at place number four again, I'm pretty happy with that too. Well, Timo, you're just gonna be happy. You're just gonna have to be pretty happy with that because I showed my hand earlier. I said at at the behest yes, of not making this. Be happy. Yeah, <laughs> at the behest of making this video slightly less long, slightly shorter. I'm gonna go with the Godfather Part Two. Okay, there we go. Godfather Part Two at number three, and now we get to have the moment that you've all been waiting for. I'm going to skip over place number two because you're going to figure it out as soon as I say yeah. what place number one Obviously. is. And with the highest score we've gotten on the list, it's not the highest score that a film could get. Um, by a good margin, this film got a 9.58 when we get into the nitty gritty versus the one below mm. it, a 9.50. So a whopping eight one hundredths of a, of, a, of a ranking difference. Back to the old number one. It's Parasite at place number ah, one with look at Godfather this. Part Two at number two. Tucker is ecstatic. He's screaming. Boys. He's saluting. Can I do a little jig? Do, Tucker, do a, do your little Parasite. I shake jig. a little my butt. Make a little jig. noise. Get down jig. tonight. Yeah. I don't know the lyrics that I saw. That's all I know. You got it. So, so there you go. Some thoughts are in order, I think, knowing that that Parasite, the first film we ever reviewed, say what you will about about first being the best. Mm -hmm. we, we've we've thought about it. Is the best. First of all, Terry Chestnut. I don't know. You, Thank you for adding that. <laughs> that was that, that really helped my train of thought there. Well, you know, we talked about it first, and yeah. if there's any way to say that it has stood the test of time, that this is it. The test oh, yeah. of 36 episodes, yeah. 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 
Uh, well, I, I just think it's a little funny that we did this because, you know, movies that we reviewed first would be unfairly skewed towards the top. And now at the conclusion of it, the movie that we did first is number one. <laughs> so I think I think that's funny. And obviously our scores reflect that it should be number one, uh, apparently. And, and, um, and this film got well, the top five films got very high scores across the board. Um, Parasite got a 10 from Tucker, a 9.8 mm-hmm. from Tanner, a 9.5 for me, and a 9.0 from Abram. Um, and mm-hmm. The Godfather Part 2 got an 8.3 from Tucker, a 9.9 from Tanner, a 9.8 from me, and a 10.0 from Abram. So they're very... The that's Godfather. part one? That's, that's part, part one. one. Godfather Part 1 yeah. okay. is... Yes. Okay. Uh, and with this, the two Godfathers sit sandwiched right next to each other. Hmm. Buddies well, you, separated, you separated British ugly nasty brothers at the bottom, but we brought together... The, the Italian mobster brothers. The great the Italian, Italian brothers. The Familia. Super Mario brothers, if you will. <laughs> the Super Corleone brothers. And they are super, but apparently that that parasitic South Korean family, they're more super. Most certainly. Yes. I, 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 mean, I, I don't really have any uh, I don't really have any thoughts on this winning out over the Godfather. They're they were very equally matched on our previous list, and obviously they are here. They are in my very own mind, very equally matched. And uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know what else to say. Parasite, welcome back to spot number one in the Great Quest re-rank. That is fairly incredible. Abram, you have the biggest differential between the two films. You you care to get a word in edgewise here? Um. I think I think it's fair. I mean, I got part two moved up a little bit higher, so that's that's kind of neat for me in my yeah. book. But I mean, Parasite is a really incredible, in- inventive film. But I just think that the, that the Godfather is a is a timeless film. I really think it stands at the pinnacle of, of the entire medium. Um, but ultimately, the, the the differential here is so close that I don't feel like it's been robbed. I I just feel like it's been slightly edged out. So it stands. I'll begrudgingly allow it. It's not, it's not the biggest loss I've taken today as, as Argo mm-hmm. plummets far beneath it. But again, a testament to why we should have done this in the first place. So Yeah, absolutely. Democracy lives another day, I suppose. Yep. Well, thank you guys for, for joining me. Thank you for helping put together this, this great long list. Um, as we said at the beginning, the letterboxed list will be updated and thrown in the, in the description of, of all these videos so you can check them out. Um, and, and see where they line up and see where, where the new films are. We had some winners. We had some losers. Some films stayed in the exact same place. Some went down. Some went up. I mean, but, you know, I think I, I think I alluded it to you guys that by and large, the list stayed pretty much the same in terms of trends and, and groups of films kind of stick together. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting. I like our new rating system. It's it's better than the previous one. It's it's a little bit more fun because we can we can look and be like, oh, why is there such a big gap between Rain Man and Shakespeare in Love? You know, that's not something that we could really think about beforehand. Um, well, thank you for the answer, Tucker. We won't need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this episode has gone on quite long enough. The yes. uh, we'll we'll be back next week with our. Uh, with are talking about Ben-Hur, a very long movie, and you'll get to see the rating system in action where we all give it our individual scores and they get tallied up and we'll see where it fits in against some other films, maybe even resulting in ties that need to be tie-broken, as we did today. No, please. No more ties. I, I'm begging you. There were a lot. There were a little more than I expected to come out here mm. on, this, on this great big Excel spreadsheet. But it's only ever going to get bigger. That's the deal with the quest for the bestest. The, the quest goes on a little, a little mm-hmm. side. We had to do a little refiguring, but um, we'll be back 
better than ever, looking for more movies, trying to figure out what the best one is. And as it stands right now, after 35 whole episodes, it's Parasite. Wow. Parasite, the number, the first film we watched and apparently the best. So mm-hmm. I'll catch you next week. Peace.